Justice, KPFA Benefit. It's Thursday evening, June 14th, 7.30 at First Congregational Church, 2501 Harrison in Oakland. There's free parking and wheelchair access. Get tickets at Marcus Books, BrownPaperTickets.com, and many independent bookstores. For Michael Eric Dyson, June 14th. You're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF 88.1 in Fresno, K248BR 97.5 in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. Coming up next, cover to cover with Miss Stone. Stay tuned. is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is May 29th, 2018. I've been gone so long, I forgot, I forgot just what I'm doing here, right? <laughs> yes. The hell is a culture critic? Um, uh, yes, when I hear the word culture, I go for my gun. Aha. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'm supposed to do the zeitgeist watch, right? Spirit of the age is the zeitgeist. You know, get sense of the smell of things. Nuts. I can't even keep track of TV shows, uh, to say nothing of all the uh, movies, plays, and books. Um, uh, all that stuff I want to unpack. Uh, I need to synthesize, right? Emily Dickinson always said her business was circumference. Right. I guess that's a circle. I guess she's going round. I don't know. Synthesis, I had thought, might be a way to put things into one coherent thought. I was wrong about that. <laughs> Read F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Crack Up. That's, that explains everything. Anyway, no use. Uh, it's all in fragments for me and uh, a lot of folks who think that the world, uh, the world is about what goes on in their head. Aha, did you see the royal wedding? Royal wedding, that's, that's a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing to talk about. Harry and Meghan, the new age kids. <laughs> the the revolution the revolution has been televised it's a gorgeous performance yes uh i think it may still be on if you have on demand or something i'm not sure but we had hours of black artists black uh preachers uh it was a knockout there was an appearance by the bride's mother i couldn't believe it i I thought of Obama's mother-in-law. Uh, I think she's a little older, but it was the same, the same presence, uh, wise elder, but she is a woman of color, as they say, sitting right there in the front row with all those <laughs> royals. 
Yes, Germans, I think. Anyway, uh, I wish I wish we could use the word Creole, but that's misunderstood and people don't care for it. They get a picture of New Orleans in their heads. Anyway, mixed race is also a confusing, uh, confusing, um, well, it... I guess it does the job, but we know now, if we ever, if we ever will, that biological race doesn't exist. Uh, now, we do know as well that uh, cultural diversity is the big issue of the day. Uh, I call this otherism. It goes, oh, anywhere, anywhere you want to take it, uh, at the very end of the line is gender. Uh, when you meet someone, whether it's a baby or an old, old person, the first thing you ask is, what is it, you know? Is it pink or blue, a boy or a girl? And everything you say to that individual is uh, colored, uh, shaded by the knowledge of that person's gender <coughs> when I saw when I saw Camilla Parker Bowles um, <laughs> the wife wife of the future king of England you know <laughs> Charles poor middle aged Charles he will be I think the oldest king in history once he uh ascends the throne when Elizabeth II uh, <laughs> leaves the planet. Anyway, Camilla was leafing through her program desperately. She needed to find out what it was she was watching, what she was hearing. Uh, she looked utterly bewildered. Uh, I don't think she was approving, but she, she just mostly looked confused. Now, uh, with Camilla, they always say on these occasions, she's probably had a drop taken. She's notorious for that. But uh, I guess, I guess, when she becomes the king's consort, uh, that is, when they ascend the throne, uh, she will try, try to keep herself together. But uh, I looked at the whole scene, and I was breathless, I tell you. Uh Oh, I think uh, George Clooney was the sweetest. Uh, Serena Williams was the most regal, the most, um, oh gosh, I don't want to say fashionable. That doesn't cover it. Uh, she was um, regal. Regal is what she was. Uh, anyway, uh, as I keep saying, the British British royal family will never be the same. Or else... Perhaps it will. <laughs> it was splendid anyway to see this whole new dimension to this elderly institution. It was it, beautifully done in, uh, uh, let's see, is it, is it, it was a chapel. I'm trying to remember which chapel it was. Oh my goodness, my mind is melting. Uh, I keep thinking, you know, that, uh, They'll fix it. They'll fix it so that they have a a uh, comfy scene. But they always insist on having 
the grandiose uh, architecture. Besides, it's beautiful. Uh, and that sermon, that sermon was spot on. Uh, s- several people sighed and said it was a bit long, you know. Uh, the sermon was about love. Imagine that. Uh, uh, MLK was quoted, referred to Martin Luther King's words. Uh, anyway, the gist was that love is what it's all about and that love is what will save us and, uh, uh, mostly, of course, New Testament love, agape, uh, love for all things, compassion, you know, uh, uh, love does not discriminate. It doesn't judge, you know, that kind. Uh, <laughs> that's what the message is. That's the message even in Ireland, would you believe it? Believe it. Now, the Irish, uh, I guess maybe they've had enough of that puritanical, puritanical Catholic heritage, the war on women. Coming down. Uh, now, there must have been a lot of men voting. As I said, two-thirds of the vote the voters. Uh, they repealed the amendment that prevented abortion. Let's see. That dates about 1983. So it's been, been a long time since women have been forced to go across the, uh, the pond. I don't think they call the bridge over to Europe, the pond, but uh, anyway, they have to leave Ireland, and there have been, of course, I forget, tens of thousands of women had to make that trip. Uh, we may reach that point in our country, at least people will have to, uh, you know, go to different states in order to get reproductive uh, uh, rights. Now, woman's reproductive freedom... Uh, was once was once endemic to Russia to Russia pardon me to to Ireland uh, my head is turned around today I have too many things in front of me here uh, the women in ancient Ireland were definitely definitely uh, oh let's not say free but let's say they were allowed to be themselves uh Ah, ancient Ireland, there was what we call mother right. It was a basic principle. There were no bastards. No child was illegitimate. Uh, that's uh, Christianity arrived on the scene and children became the property of the uh, male, their male owner. Uh, was it in, uh, back in Rome, right? Familia means all of the slaves belonging to one Roman citizen. I looked it up. Anyway, uh, I was digging through a book this morning to find something wise. Uh, I was looking at how the Irish saved civilization. It's not the best book on the women, uh, but I'm sure that uh, most of us are at least familiar with the old, the old ancient Irish, uh, how that changed. I, I try to recommend, especially to young people, uh, that wonderful book, the, uh, uh, the mists of Avalon, right? It's all about how the, uh, 
mist. If you go through the mist, you will go back in history and you will see how Christianity was kind of cobbled together from the old religion. Uh, <laughs> yes, there's even a movie, uh, Angelica Houston plays the goddess. It's a world in which women, uh, they didn't just, they didn't just rule, but they, they kind of, uh, mm-hmm. They, they kind of parented, they kind of took care of things. Uh, in the end, especially in the movie, we see that the, the Virgin Mary, the Madonna, is a transmutation of the old goddess. Uh, if you wander around Italy and look at the, the portraits and the, uh, uh, the sculptures, you will see that that's just the goddess everywhere. Uh, I think that the uh, feminine, the motherly, let's call it, uh, side of humanity uh, has never gone away, obviously. It's all there is. Basically, you've got your Madonna with your baby on the lap. She's the one who conceived him, and she's the one who uh, helps him become what he needs to be. Now, of course, there is this awful, awful... Uh, Change a couple of couple thousand years it's been. Uh, let's see, I'm looking here in uh, the Irish saving civilization, and there's a wonderful footnote about the uh, the era of Victorianism. It says the Irish have been called Queen Victoria's most loyal subjects because in modern times they have sometimes been paradoxically, given their earlier history, associated with prudishness and sexual repression. Ah. This new behavior grew, I think, says the author. Uh, He says, I think, from the understandable anxiety of dispossessed peasants for respectability, an anxiety that surfaced, according to Frank O'Connor, quote, the moment English became the accepted language. Now, that's a great theory. I love that theory. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Some people say that uh, English is the language that uh, the suffragists used because it didn't have gendered nouns. Right. You, you can come up with any theory you like. Anyway, languages do bring values with them. And uh, the uh, English that the Irish finally learned was Victoria's. The little queens, they called her. There's a recent recent um, Masterpiece Theatre show on uh, uh, Victoria. It was pretty, pretty silly. It was kind of fun to watch, but it certainly was a lie, especially the bits where Queen Victoria is... Uh, moved by the plight of the starving Irish during the Irish famine. Uh, she finally figured out that perhaps it had something to do with their own economy and little games they played anyway. Uh, let's see here. Frank O'Connor being quoted in this book, uh, How the Irish Saved Civilization by Thomas Cahill. More and more here. Uh, says here uh, wherever the Irish language held strong 
and you can still find it. Yes, over there, look around, Gaelic. Both men and women continue to regard sexual relations as the most entertaining subject for general conversation. <laughs> uh, this footnote goes on in much detail about fertility festivals and how they continued to be held throughout Victoria's reign in Irish-speaking places like County Kerry. I believe that I have some relatives from County Kerry. Anyone who has visited Ireland in recent years <laughs> will have noticed that the Irish are reverting to their ancient ways, says the author. Well, I hope so. I certainly hope so. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Irish saved civilization. I I like this book, but I was looking for uh, uh, poetry about women and their progeny, their children. And all I found in this book, I've forgotten most of it, uh, I find that most of the poems, there aren't very many, written by women, especially in the 18th century, are uh, ferocious laments by warrior women, uh, either mourning or uh, weeping over their uh, warrior lovers and husbands, you know, the sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I thought of reading you one, but I can save that for, for another day. It's been a rough week. Uh, I have a very difficult time uh, after Labor Day, uh, Memorial Day. Uh, and I think the reason for that is my mind goes back to the uh, the wars. Uh, if you go over there and look at those rows of crosses at the uh, Presidio, I, uh, I have never found my father's grave over there. I, I know it's there. Uh, I... Uh, I left the funeral at some point and didn't get as far as the gravesite. I thought I was, I thought I was miscarrying a child. That was my excuse at the time. But, uh, anyway, uh, I don't seem to be able to manage the, what is it, the actual fact of, uh, <laughs> death. I, I love to talk about it, read about it, and, uh, Imagine what might happen, but I, I, uh, I haven't been able. I think since I was thirteen, when my mother died, I haven't been able to do the grave scene. Ah, uh, hmm. uh, it's getting rude not going to funerals. But uh, my sister was kind enough to go over to Spain, and she died there. And I've always been fairly lucky. Anyway. Uh, the the whole idea of the war memorial uh, just makes me so angry i i can't even i can't even think about it uh world war 2 was my father's war it didn't kill him outright but it certainly contributed to his alcoholism and his general uh <laughs> his general sorrow uh he was uh over in the Pacific Theater, and I won't repeat the things she told me about the inside of some of those ships. Uh, on the other hand, I think uh, he thought of himself as heroic, and there was a great deal that uh, 
uh, that he brought back with him. I thought it would be of use to my younger brother, but my younger brother, unfortunately, went to Vietnam, and his story is much sadder. At the end, he was, well, finally, in, in the last, he was a quadriplegic and also alcoholic. I think, I think it is not, not important, uh, what we do about these things, and I think it is all right to mourn, but there's no question about what we have to go on. About one o'clock this morning, oh, I see why I can't remember the names. Yes, I haven't been to sleep all night. That's what Memorial Day does to me. I've been up all night. Ah, one o'clock, I watch Paths of Glory. <laughs> you remember that? Marvelous masterpiece, anti-war movie with uh, Kirk Douglas in the lead and Adolf Manju and George McCready as these demonic, demonic generals. They scapegoat three innocent little soldiers who uh, really are, are not cowards at all, but they need three scapegoats when they fail a little uh, uh, battle is on and they can't... Uh, they can't seem to take this little hill, and they tell the men to go and take it, and the men uh, are unwilling to commit suicide, so, of course, they will be executed. There's a court-martial, and Kirk Douglas tries to tries to save them, but uh, <laughs> he's just a liberal, and at some point, he's promised a promotion, and then he gets angry and... and reacts uh, to, I think it's Adolf Manjou, right? He uh, offers him the promotion, and then uh, Kirk Douglas loses it, and Adolf Manjou looks at him and says, I pity you as I would the village idiot. Right. Anybody knows that uh, realism is what we talk about in the uh, uh in the war. Uh, that's an interesting movie. There's a, a little girl at the end, uh, the only one, I think, in the film, yes. And she's singing for the troops. She's, I believe, um, she's not a prisoner. She is at least uh, uh, a child in the occupied territories there. And she sings, and all of the men start to cry. And then, of course, they, they leave and go off to war. And we see their uh, imminent death. The interesting thing is that the movie was made by Stanley Kubrick, and he married that young woman. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, I think of his other movie, Full Metal Jacket, at the end of which we saw a young Vietnamese girl. She symbolized Vietnam. Uh, she's the the weak, well, not the weak, but the smaller, gentler nation, and of course, uh, all of her skills, she's a sniper, all of her skills are not enough to save her life. Uh, she will be destroyed. Uh, anyway, oh dear, 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 uh, <laughs> movies, movies, movies. I had another review here, but I'm not going to. I just really don't have time for it because it, it's something I tagged onto the Irish, the uh, Irish book. Here it is. It's all about the Magdalene sisters. Do you remember Mary Magdalene, the the fallen woman, the whore? Uh, <laughs> in Ireland, there were homes for unwed mothers for 
many, many years. Uh, they didn't end until 1960s, I think. The women were literally incarcerated. They, they couldn't leave. <laughs> they did the laundry for, <laughs> for uh, half the nation for decades, decades. Uh, some hint at the end of that movie that, uh, once they had washing machines, they, they could cut down on the labor. Uh, anyway, uh, talk about a crime. Uh, this wonderful scene, uh, only a man could come and, you know, sign them out, get them out of there. And a young woman's brother finally shows up after many, many years. And she said, where the hell have you been? Where the hell have you been? Uh, I remember, yes, uh, when I was doing a whole series of uh, essays and uh, notes, poems on the women, uh, I think it was, oh yes, sister, yes, sister, the whole notion that we could save each other, sisters. Ah, uh, I tucked in here T.S. Eliot's Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and... I think of the mists of Avalon, the whole lean notion that we have this mother, this sister, and that this Holy Spirit is with us. Uh, T.S. Eliot writes, Blessed Sister, Holy Spirit of the fountain, Spirit of the garden, suffer us not to mock ourselves with falsehood. Teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to sit still, even among these rocks. Our peace in his will, and even among these rocks, sister, mother, and spirit of the river, spirit of the sea, suffer me not to be separated. Let my cry come unto thee. This morning, when I was trying to find something wise to say about <laughs> about the fact that the women in Ireland are finally free to make some choices, uh, I opened my my uh, essay. My essay. Uh, it's called the imperative of intimacy on separateness. The whole notion that the source of all evil is when we separate one from the other. Uh, I love it. If I just open open this book, it opens right to it. Uh, to release sexual libido is to subvert social and political order. That's everything. Male Western literature. Uh, uh, the master narrative. Okay. Uh, watch out. Watch out when women have sexual freedom, and that's what this means. Sexual... Uh, what do you call that? Choice. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember uh, the first time I read Wilhelm Reich's Psychology of Fascism. And he writes that the first duty of a tyranny is the suppression of sexual desire, of sexual need. Nazis, you know, they don't need women. <laughs> suppression of eros is the first business of fascism. Eros is messy. It doesn't make the trains run on time. Uh, it is very strange that on the surface it is women who are often blamed for the suppression of sex. 
Perhaps it's not so strange. Only unhappy or sick women reject Eros, and that's the reason. Yes, that's the reason. They're humiliated. They are not allowed to passionately pursue erotic ecstasy when they are capable of it. When women are truly released from their bonds, order goes out the window. Society or patriarchy gasps in horror. Female eros is subversive in ways that even women are fearful of. To embrace eros is the ultimate high, the final freedom, the best moment life has to offer. Once eros possesses us, we have nothing to lose. And Thanatos, that is death, has no hold over us. To live as one already dead is to become Eros. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more here about the love of woman for woman. <laughs> that wonderful poem by Judy Gron. The question asked over and over still seems to be, yes, you didn't actually kiss her. Uh, Tony Kirshner's play, Angels in America... Uh, the most beautiful moment in that is when the angel kisses the Mormon mother. I, I still remember it. I saw it just a little while ago. Anyway, <clears throat> more about Eros and women next time. This has been Jennifer Stone. With Stone's Throw, I'll be back again next week. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. You're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Burke.